but if there are any questions which arise on the, the general subject of Canada-UK relations as they are promoted by the Council uh, through its annual colloquial, and I'm very happy to take them. And please interrupt during whatever I say, and indeed whatever Nicholas says. <laughs> and it covers a huge subject. It is a huge subject, and we can only give a very, very brief overview and highlight the specific aspects, and it's a very personal view from my presentation's point of view. Um, what I will do is, is give that overview and hope that Nicholas will pick up on points I have omitted or incorrectly stated, and he will highlight specific areas which especially um, interest him. Um, Tony, you sent a flyer um, of this um, event, and I thought it was particularly apposite, not simply because it was um, taken from David Cameron's letter of support for the colloquium, which is to be found in the um, programme when you see it, uh, but it also summarises the, the extent to which this is such a huge subject. And I just wanted to, to read a few lines which you may recall read, reading when you, when, you, when you got that flyer. In many areas, the vast global information and communication system is improving lives, driving productivity and efficiency, accelerating research and creating new opportunities. The democratisation of education with massive open online courses is another example of the potential for good, but the rush to cyberspace can also be something of a leap in the dark. Systems become more powerful as they interconnect. We are grappling as individuals and as governments with myriad questions of governance, privacy, security, criminality. That's the sort of thing that um, we covered, and what I want to do is to emphasize that this subject covers not just individuals in our personal lives, but also governments and uh, companies and even interstate relations. Um, I particularly am concerned about the way cyberspace and cybersecurity is handled among companies because I think boards are very poor at maintaining and keeping up to date with developments in cyberspace. And we all know from reading the papers and seeing online news all the time that things are developing uh, at a, an exponential rate. And it is very difficult for boards of companies to keep up to date. And they, in my opinion, don't do enough to ensure that their IT departments, even if they have an IT department, are sufficiently um, um, au fait with um, the basic strategy of that particular business. So. As the letter from the Prime Minister mentioned, there are huge benefits to be had. Um, we know from the use of the internet, from the digital systems and big data, that these are huge um, benefits for all parts of the globe, not just in advanced economies, but also in developing economies. Although obviously there are issues there of connectivity and what Nicholas, I know, is very keen on, which is the digital divide which um, he will say not only applies to um, developing countries but also to people in the UK. And he possibly would allege that he's a member of the digital divide. Absolutely. <laughs> um, also, as mentioned earlier, there are huge risks um, in the context of cyberspace, cybercrime, cybersecurity and even cyber warfare. Um, my own pet areas that I want to emphasize are two social implications. Um, everyone now 
is an expert in every subject. Every subject is up for grabs. Uh, we all consider that all we need to do is Google something, go into Wikipedia, and, and we know it all. Even our own health, we can monitor and um, um, sort of upstage our GPs. And we know that that can be very damaging because it's only half the story most of the time. Uh, the other aspect that concerns me is the conflict I feel between what use of the internet does in engendering social isolation. You sit in your room, you spend all day looking at the screen, and you don't have much social contact with humankind. And the other aspect um, with which I think it's in conflict, and that is the collaboration and cooperation to be had in developments. Um, one of the aphorisms which came out of the conference was that countries do not innovate, only people do, and they generally do it in groups. And you can see that in many examples. Um, the um, Francis Crick comment the other day on that TV programme, I think it was last week, talking about how Watson and Crick developed their um, discoveries was that they pulled each other's arguments apart. They talked to each other they tested each other, they challenged each other. If you're looking at one screen all the time, are you really doing that? So I think that's an area which I think society needs to look at much more carefully because it does have other ramifications. What I'd like to do now is to run through some of the benefits and opportunities which you will see in the report when you get it. And these are many and various, and you will be familiar with some of them, maybe not so familiar with others. Um, the cloud, the cloud um, um, is in a ubiquitous virtual application space that allows the provision of advanced IT services at low cost, something I'm not, as an expert, as a non-expert, I should say, very familiar with, but that, that is developing as a, um, a method of storing and accessing huge quantities of information which if you did individually, you would find uneconomic. Then there is the subject of big data, and that is, again, the storing of um, digital information, which facilitates the search, research, scientific development of all kinds of areas like healthcare and um, um, things of that nature. Then there is the Internet of Things, as it's called, which is the platform for bringing pervasive networked computing to everyday objects, such as appliances, utilities, and wearable, wearables. Then in specific industry areas, you've got banking and finance with cryptocurrencies, which I know Nicholas will say something about. Um, mobile payments, that is something which is obviously becoming very popular and peer-to-peer -peer lending, which is also developing at a rapid rate. I've mentioned healthcare, but there's also education as well as healthcare, the massive online, open online courses which are now developing, the personalization of uh, education and health information available to you, artificial intelligence, um, the development of these machines which um, will have intelligence. Maybe even our cars will have our own, their own intelligence. So there are many and various benefits which um, we went into in, in some detail. 
And at the end of the process, we came up with some recommendations, which I will run through um, shortly. But before doing that, I wanted to mention the various risks, and I've touched on some of them already. Um, the personal risk of hacking, and the aphorism which I particularly liked was that there are two people, two types of people in the contest of hacking, those who have been hacked and those who don't know they've been hacked. And I'm, we're probably all, or we all fall into probably one or both of those categories. But what's called cyber hygiene is, is obviously very important, taking huge caution when using the internet and accessing and giving information online to ensure that you, um, for example, replace your, um, your um, password. password, thank you, uh, regularly, and also that you have different passwords for different um, accesses and uses. So you get, you get totally confused. <laughs> Absolutely. I have to confess I keep the same one. Um, and then that also, as I touched on earlier, applies to companies and governments, and they have an equivalent risk. The vulnerability of outdated uh, legacy systems is um, something which businesses, small businesses in particular, don't fully appreciate. That they are much easier to hack. And um, it's also vital not only that individuals in their personal lives are abreast of all these developments, but also that there is proper buy-in by government officials as well as boards of companies. Then, on the wider geopolitical scene, there's state surveillance by governments, whether they're malign or otherwise. Coming further home, erosion of trust in established democratic institutions. A lot of discussion took place on that subject at the, um, at the colloquium. And we, we know this from our daily lives, uh, reading the news every day, that there is an increasing lack of respect for established institutions, whether it's Parliament or any other kind of established institute. There's also the distortion of political, economic and social norms, um, where you have um, single-issue uh, gender groups um, who promote their um, point of view via the internet and probably distort the picture in a way that I don't think governments and the people who are also affected by that subject have probably come to grips with. I think there needs to be, it's one of our recommendations, there needs to be a, a proper way of ensuring that these um, single-issue um, promotions don't distort the particular topic in a way that um, causes problems in the wider community. And then finally in the list of risks I noted down, and these are only a selection, there are many others dealt with in the report, the challenge of effective international policing. Given the principle of free and open access, it's very difficult to ensure that the uh, internet is, is kept as a safe place, given that it is intended as an open access um, facility for the whole of mankind. Um, it is too easy for malign um, jurisdictions to uh, take steps either to restrict access to the internet or to uh, distort the, the message which otherwise would be uh, sent. So those are the risks and I just wanted to run through the specific recommendations. Again, it's a random 
selection and you need to read the whole report to get a complete picture of what we came up with. But the object of these recommendations is basically to send the report to uh, interested parties, which will include the government um, experts in the area, in order to influence public policy. And we have had um, modest success in the past in, on other subjects in introducing changes. And we would hope that some of these recommendations on this occasion, on this subject, will get picked up by the experts and that they will see further development. But the ones I wanted to mention were on the multi-stakeholder governance issue, uh, the recommendation that we should ensure that the internet is maintained as an international multi-stakeholder open public space, that we should work towards a second Geneva Convention on the application of international law to cyberspace, which um, is probably something which will be very difficult to achieve and will take decades, but there is obviously a risk that the Geneva Convention or conventions, because there are several, are significantly out of date because when they were drawn up, the last one, maybe in 1949, um, things like the internet didn't exist and warfare today will not be guns, Nicholas with little musket shots. It, it will be... <laughs> Soundbites. Indeed, it, it, it will be a malign sign, but sound belt, sign, sorry, sound belt bites. Sorry, to get that, but you know what I mean. Um, cyber warfare is is something which um, is very insidious and, and will certainly be the precursor to the guns firing. Uh, next. Um, we recommend that we should seek urgently to negotiate an international treaty framework governing autonomous warfare, which again is really on the same issue, including the deployment of drones in offensive operations. Then on the subject of privacy, we recommend that citizens and corporations utilise access technologies and platforms that allow for enhanced privacy protections in cyberspace. The notion that sensitive personal data can be anonymized should be retired for good. Um, all medics think that you can anonymize medical data. All internet experts know that you can't and that you can recreate the identity of that information, which is an interesting concept. I don't know how they um, are confident that that can be done, but there is a very firm recommendation that the medical profession, and it applies to them particularly because of all the need to test drugs against real people, against real ailments, that it's um, impossible, apparently, to anonymise that information. Um, next, governments should recognise the need to introduce compensation schemes for those individuals who have suffered demonstrable harm because of their private data entrusted to government having been exposed, like... Um, strict liability, for example, in not ensuring that the software is up to scratch. Then the subject of trusted hubs. The themes of risk and competitive advantage flowed through all colloquium sessions and are fundamental to national economic growth in cyberspace. Um, both countries should take action to embed issues of cybersecurity into normal board-level risk management and encourage genuine board ownership of these issues, something I've already touched on. Then on education and skills, 
I've touched on the digital divide and governments do need to appreciate properly that there are in all communities people who are not fully au fait with the um, internet and will use them inexpertly and will um, expose themselves to, um, to risk as a consequence. And then the much broader geopolitical area um, in low economy countries where there simply isn't the uh, availability of the internet. Uh, then there is a need to accelerate the establishment of professional engineering norms for digital systems and software development. That was a very keen recommendation from the engineering experts on the team who thought that there are professional organisations which govern um, civil engineering, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, etc. But there should also be a separate and distinct one for IT engineering. Um, because um, it has reached the stage where greater expertise is needed to ensure that the, uh, the thing is properly um, um, governed in, the term, in terms of national and international governance. And then, very similar to that, a recommendation that there should be a licence to practice for software engineers, not only a professional organisation, but also, if you like, a, a provisional a provision whereby you, you need a license to advise on uh, software aspects. Then on the subject of innovation, um, we need to recognise the importance of deploying tools and methodologies for much higher quality in software development. Kite marks were recommended as a way of ensuring a sure quality, adding investors to the collaboration triad of industry academia and government. Uh, I mentioned also strict liability on producers and importers of IT systems. Then the subject of transnational crime. A broader approach should be taken to policing, including, including the disruption of criminal networks, the use of asset recovery and greater international cooperation. There was a feeling that one shouldn't sort of try to catch the horse after it's built it. One should try to develop ways of countering um, the disruption by criminal networks by playing their own game and ensuring that they are always one step behind. And then um, also we recommended the need to break down public, private and academic silos. Again, it's all a question of being open and also being frank in recognising that all parts of society do have uh, internet um, challenges and that even big companies are hacked and that they should uh, recognise that if they were to be more upcoming in disclosing that and how they resolved it for the benefit of everyone else that would only be um, a benefit rather than a disbenefit and it would also help them in a competitive advantage sense. Then civil liberties, there was huge discussion on that subject, the question of um, security versus um, uh, privacy. Um, it was very firmly decided that those were not opposites and that you could have secure methods without endangering your privacy rights and your privacy rights were not necessarily uh, compromised by having secure systems to protect um, not only yourself but obviously other systems. Um, 
you may want to raise questions about that, and I hope we can address them. And then social media and censorship, well, that's obviously another similar area, uh, a need to balance the political engagement around social media, the mitigating of the one-way nature of existing petitions, campaigns, and electronic bombardment, something I touched on earlier. Those then are the, that is the overview from me of um, what we talked about last November in Montebello. Tony, do you want Nicholas to proceed here on, or do you want to suggest? So, yes. Is that right? Okay. Yep. Okay. Good. So I, I, th I think Philip has given a very full overview, and I'll try and sketch in uh, one or two points before we come on to general discussion. Um, the danger of some colloquial subjects is that uh, you, you're talking about motherhood, and everyone agrees. Uh, this one was a particularly interesting colloquium because there were a lot of points of disagreement. And as you'll see when you uh, get a copy of the report, you'll, you'll see that uh, we had a number of ministers. We, had, we were chaired by uh, a multifaceted Canadian who had been Minister for Defence, Minister for Foreign Affairs, uh, and leader of his political party. Uh, uh, we also had um, a, minister, a former Minister of Security in Britain, but we also have the Guardian newspaper. So uh, we, we always aim to achieve diversity and balance. And uh, as I, I think uh, Philip hasn't yet said, we, we were set up in 1971 by uh, the two governments, uh, but to bring together the private sector and the public sector and a wide range of disciplines uh, to share experience on key uh, topical topics. And this could hardly have been more topical. Uh, so there were all the issues relating, for instance, to Edward Snowden, which I won't go into. Philip's touched on them already. Um, but there were also some very interesting fundamental criticisms of uh, what all these very great technical advances have brought us to. For instance, um, you can now get misinformed at a much greater speed than previously. Um, there's also the power of the machine to uh, you know, speak with authority. So uh, the, the danger is that uh, in the education system, you know, the more people rely on um, machines uh, rather than uh, personal contact with teachers, the, may, the less they may think for themselves. Um, Susan Greenfield has had some very strong views on uh, what uh, over-dependence on uh, IT and the net and the screen uh, can do to the, the actual development of the brain. So the, 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 the interesting thing about uh, our uh, colloquium was there were, there were a lot of quite fundamental questions asked. We had um, a number of member, members of parliament there from both countries. Where, uh, one of the points that came out was that uh, there were aspects to, in which the new technology is unhelpful uh, to democracy. Um, Pilate is reported to have said... Uh, after talking to Jesus, what is truth? And um, you, you could say, um, what is meaningful uh, consultation and, and dialogue? And um, some members of Parliament said, if, if you simply have um, uh, to, to press a button in order to express a view uh, or join a, in, in some um, major push against politicians... How, how, how meaningful is that? Is that the same as if you had actually written a letter carefully and thought things out or spoken to someone? So there, there are fundamental 
um, disconnects, which um, no, nobody reached any conclusion on, but I think it was good that they highlighted them. Philip has already mentioned the importance of the digital divide, and I j just want to expand on that, because we had some people who had very considerable responsibility in government with dealing with uh, developing countries, and there, were, there was good news and bad news. So there was the point which Philip's mentioned about uh, low levels of connectivity, um, and uh, the fact that some of the poorest countries in the world are very considerably disadvantaged by a system which depends so much on the new technologies where they may be uh, lagging behind, uh, where they may not have the money to invest in uh, sufficient infrastructure. On the other hand, um, the good news was that there are times in which uh, some developing countries or some individuals within those countries can leapfrog uh, the process through, uh, for instance, um, the use and we're not just talking about IT, we're talking about telecommunications, the use of mobile phones, uh, where in many parts of Africa, uh, mobile phones have uh, been used uh, and, and applied very quickly and diffused very quickly in the population, um, at least in um, all but the, the poorest sections, so as to uh, avoid the need for very expensive heavy infrastructure in, in fixed-line communication. But... Uh, we, we also talked about uh, other aspects of the digital divide. Um, in our own country, there are definitely areas of very low connectivity um, in London, um, let alone uh, places, let alone, let alone in my street sometimes, but let alone the Isle of Mull, for instance. There, so um, the, 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 there's an unevenness uh, which needs to be addressed. Uh, in remotely populated parts of the United Kingdom, uh, the, the problem is much worse if you're simply relying on the rule of, on the law of the market because um, there isn't the commercial benefit uh, to, uh, of large numbers in order to put in the infrastructure. So um, th th there, there are, um, there's a need for, for government to adjust. Um, equally, uh, another aspect of the digital divide is that um, people, um, the elderly, may find it hard to come to terms with of the new technology. Now, um, many of the experts on the new technology said, well, they should. Uh, they just have to be taught. Well, I, uh, a number of us thought that is unrealistic. And anyway, it's a question of human rights. Why should they be forced to? Uh, and there may be people of any age, not necessarily the disabled yes, or the elderly, who, who, just, who, who, who don't want to uh, join in. And, and we then highlighted examples of where both government, I'll give you the example, if you're filling in your VAT tax return, you can now only do it online. Um, there are many companies which only deal online. Well, um, people are being excluded. So there was great concern about the excluded. And uh, there was a very facile assumption from uh, those who knew all about these uh, new systems that uh, it's just a question of time and everything will be fine. Um, that was definitely not thought to be the case unanimously. Now, uh, Philip mentioned um, some of the new uh, interesting areas of uh, finance like cryptocurrencies, peer-to-peer -peer lending, and because they knew there were some people who thought, ah, this is wonderful innovation uh, which will bring, bring, bring great benefits, and what a good thing to find another way of disintermediating and doing without the banks. But um, there were other people, and I think as an ex-banker, wiser heads who said um, that, uh, <laughs> that there's a danger in these systems uh, because 
they're very fast, they're very hard to regulate. Um, and um, so uh, a lot of people said, uh, yes, there may be rapid growth in these new methods, but it may end in tears. So um, there were a lot of uh, good economic analyses of on the one hand and on the other. And uh, we, we also uh, try, tried to look at uh, new, new, new ways of uh, using the technology. Uh, Philip's rightly mentioned health, uh, finance. Uh, but we also looked at uh, some of the ways in which um, information is power or information is money. Now, it's no coincidence that I've just come back from the battlefield of Waterloo where they were shooting off these uh, kind of musket balls because, um, and it's no coincidence, no, no coincidence at all that um, the company that was asked to pay for uh, the big party at the Guildhall uh, on Waterloo Day on the 18th and, and a lot of the heavy spending at St. Paul's Cathedral was N.M. Rothschild, the bank, because... Um, most of you will probably know that uh, it was Rothschilds who uh, A, had a, a whole team of carrier pigeons ready by the, at the battlefield to send back the news to the Paris Bourse of what the result would be and after and in the evening when the Rothschilds started selling, uh, everyone sold and the Rothschilds cleaned up because uh, of course they played the markets in a very clever way we were, we were delighted that our main sponsor was Thomson Reuters, who were in the business of uh, the, dis, uh, the diffusion of, of information. And, they gave, and, and in one of our subgroups, we were given examples of how this uh, computer disconnect, even uh, a delay of a few seconds, uh, uh, it can be used to make very considerable amounts of money. Uh, but questions came up, which again were very important for regulation and morality of insider information. Uh, but there were examples given to us of uh, some of these uh, very interesting new unregulated areas um, which are especially important in bringing data uh, three seconds earlier from New York to Chicago and, and therefore um, w w uh, through arbitrage making very considerable money if you pay an extra fee so you have the extra right for earlier information. We, we had plenary sessions uh, we also had a number of uh, subgroups, and when you read the report, you'll see more uh, about that. We also had a briefing day from uh, all of the British team and some of the Canadian team uh, in the Parliament in Ottawa uh, and also in some of the leading Canadian research centres. And we had, um, uh, as well as the sponsorship by Thomson Reuters and, of course, by the Canadian government, by DFAT-D and by the Foreign Office, we, we had uh, sponsorship from Faros, a company that uh, uh, small but very effective in cybersecurity. And uh, we, we, we also had an extremely good presentation by CGI. We had sponsorship from IBM Canada. Um, so there was a very useful coming together of private and public sectors in promoting the fact that we could all come together in the first place, um, but also in encouraging this very open debate on a lot of interesting, relevant, and sometimes contentious issues. So we're all set for questions.